Hi, I'm Louisa Boa-Taylor, and this is Future Food, where food trends and new technologies converge. There is a systemic change occurring in our food system. In this podcast, we speak to entrepreneurs, investors, chefs, farmers, and others defining that future. Hello, everybody. I just finished interviewing Amy Yoda, CEO of Anuvia Plant Nutrients. Now, before your eyes start to roll, plant nutrients and fertilizers more specifically are very cool and very necessary. As Amy mentions in this podcast, we would not be able to eat the food that we eat without fertilizers. But what they're doing at Anuvia is something really different. They have created an organic waste to fertilizer process so they can use waste from anywhere. It could be food waste, it can be manure, hog waste they've been using, any type to enable plants to uptake nutrients more efficiently. And what this can do is lower the greenhouse gas emissions of producing fertilizers. The typical ones that are used today, as she will tell you, can be very resource intensive and involve mining and a lot of manufacturing. So it's very exciting, but particularly if we think about the context of everything at the moment around carbon markets and the importance of sequestering carbon from the atmosphere and storing it in our soils and the potential that there is there, governments around the world are thinking about how they could incentivize farmers to do that. So that makes Amy's company really exciting and interesting. And she is incredible. She's raised recently in February, she closed a $103 million fundraising at Series D stage with some fantastic big name investors, including private equity giant TPG. So we dig in. For those of you that aren't very knowledgeable about the fertilizer industry, Amy gives a great description of it. And I just hope you enjoy this episode with a wonderful powerhouse female in ag tech that we're all very proud of. Thanks for listening. So thank you so much, Amy, for joining me today. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. So where are you right now and what did you last eat? (laughs) I'm actually located in central Florida, just outside of Orlando. And the last thing that I ate was an apple on my way to work. (laughs) Very good. Very good. How would you describe your food preferences? Are you a healthy eater? Are you vegetarian? Not vegetarian. I would say I'm a healthy eater in moderation. I'm not going to lie. I surely still like my sweet things every once in a while, but I'm a rower and a competitive rider outside of what I do for work. I try pretty hard to keep in shape. So I eat a lot more protein, vegetables with a few carbs intermittently spursed. Oh, wow. Horse riding. Horse riding. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I do some, I do some riding too. <laughs> Not competitively yeah, no. though. Definitely no, just for, I jump, for pleasure. I do, the, I do the meter 20s and a meter 25s. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. That's amazing. Fantastic. Have I read it right that you are a farmer or your, fam, your family is in farming? So my family's in farming. I would be considered sixth generation farm, but uh, after college, I chose to go into the agricultural industry. My brother actually still farms the land that, that I grew up on. Oh, where's that? Uh, that's in central Michigan. So that's a little bit farther north of Florida, just a tad. So yeah, we farm in what would be good call south central Michigan, all crops, corn, soybeans, and wheat. And so you always felt passionate about the job that your family were doing, and that's why you stayed in the industry? Yeah, I think that it's just something that's a little bit in your blood. You know, my grandfather did it actually way back into my first ancestors came from Ireland and bought land in the 1840s. And so the land, the the main farm, what we call the main farm, is still that land. It's expanded considerably since that time frame, but it's something that we've always done, and it's just been a part of who I am. 
What would you say were some of the biggest challenges that you saw your parents facing in managing the farm over the years? Yeah, no, it's actually shifted and changed quite a bit, right? So when I was younger, it was much more conventional tillage. So a lot of plowing up the ground, a lot of cultivation, that shifted when I went into college to no-till. I mean, they're all no-till today. So there's really no tillage done on the farm today, except for just planting and a lot more utilization of um, different crop protection uh, chemicals. And even that has shifted now to uh, generations of seed, uh, more GPS. Uh, My brother has a, a tractor that drives itself. It's all programmed with the right nutrients for the different places of the farm where the soil is different. So there's been a lot of technology that's been adopted in, in just even during my, my lifetime. Would you say that they were ahead of the curve in that kind of no-till, those no-till practices? I don't know if I would say ahead of the curve, but I would say in the front end, right? I'm not sure they were the first early adopters, but one thing that always uh, that stemmed from my, my parents, my dad especially, was really a, a love of the land and being able to take care of it for future generations. So he was actually named Conservation Farmer of the Year in the, in the county for two, different, two separate years. But he was very uh, adamant about maintaining wild areas uh, and waterways so that you wouldn't have soil erosion. And I think he's always been an early adopter, and, and that's passed on to my brother and myself. Fantastic. So just for the people listening that aren't aware of what no-till means, and in the UK we call it plowing, what is the negative impacts of, of plowing and tilling? So when you're plowing and tilling, what you end up doing is you get a lot of what we call soil compaction, or you get a really hard zone right underneath where you till that soil. And what happens is your roots, number one, can't go down deeply. And so when you have poor weather conditions, i.e. drought or even rain, they have a hard time being able to capture nutrients. The other thing that happens is that when water gets down to that hard pan, it doesn't uh, filtrate through the soil as normal. It really makes it hard to get down to that subsoil. And in many instances, your water table underneath is where you get water for cities and everything else. And it just helps, it just diverts that. Your natural soil structure actually has a bunch of pores and holes in it. And then by doing uh, no-till or not disturbing the soil that much, those actually open back up over time. And so then the water has better filtration. It gets down to where it's supposed to be. It makes the roots of the plant grow deeper. So you end up with plants that are much more resilient when you have, you know, weather issues that can happen. Fantastic. Okay, well, before we move on to talk about Anuvia Plant Nutrients, the company that you run, can you tell me, if you were looking, thinking about the food system in 2050, how do you imagine it's going to look like? Are there two or three things that you think will be markedly different from today? in how we purchase, how we grow, and how we consume our food. Ooh, yeah, I actually think I can, I'm not sure I can get to you to three, but I can see two things very easily that I think will be different. I think that when we go to produce our food, we're actually going to be producing it in a very different way than we do today, not necessarily without the mechanization. So I still see farmers farming large fields just because of the population expansion and, and what's really going to be required there. But really the inputs, we're getting much better with, like I said, getting things programmed through the data that we have in data systems, being able to really target what each plant needs or which section of the soil needs. And also what I see is I really see a movement away. We're going to talk about fertility in a bit, but I really see a movement away from this conventional fertility where there's a lot of mechanical mining, 
It's a raw material off of the petrol industry. I think that there's getting to be more biologicals that are coming into the marketplace. And I think that by 2050, those have become very commonplace. And those biologicals actually stimulate what's already in the soil and allow those nutrients to come out so the plants can utilize them. So I see that. From an actual purchasing standpoint, I think with vertical farming, you're going to see that really expand. And so when you look at your fresh produce or your vegetables, that's really going to be grown um, in a system much closer to where you are today, rather than having it being exported from a variety of different regions around the world. I think that that makes sense to me, and I think I can see those changes for sure. I also think that you're going to have a lot of different plant-based type of materials that will be available for people to eat. So there'll be a lot, there'll be a a real big choice. But right now it's just starting. I think that's going to become much more prevalent going forward. So you feel optimistic? Oh, yeah, I see it all the time, right? I see the changes that have occurred even over the last four or five years. And when I think about what's happened, as I spoke before, just from where I, when I grew up at 30 years ago into where it is today, uh, it's significant. So I see the same kind of rapid change during that time frame. Brilliant. Okay, so let's talk a bit about Anuvia plant nutrients. So you are an alternative fertilizer if I've got that right. Can you just describe for people out there, what is a fertilizer? And I remember when I first got into reporting on agriculture, and I told my sister I was going to start reporting for this publication called Agribusiness Investor. And she went, oh, what, you're going to be reporting about fertilizers and pesticides? And her (laughs) eyes rolled and like she was so bored. As soon as I got into it, you know, I realized this is much more than that. But that still is an exciting space. And I think it's important for us to help connect consumers and, and the layman with some of this terminology. So tell us what fertilizers are in the conventional sense, then we could talk about how you're doing it differently. Sure. Quite frankly, without fertilizer, no one would be eating because unless you were growing your own plot of land and putting little manures on it, that, that wouldn't happen. So fertilizers actually give nutrition to plants and the plants need them to grow. So without that nutrition, you're not going to have the growth of those plants and crops to be able to harvest to eat. And all plants need nutrition, just like all people need nutrition. You eat plants to get your vitamins and minerals. Plants use fertilizers to get their vitamins and minerals in a real basic sense. So it's really been evolving since probably the 1940s. How the, the fertilizers we use today are actually derived from really two primary areas. The first one is uh, they're byproducts off of really the, the fuel industry. So the, there's a different a ureas and ammonias, and it's usually some kind of byproduct off of a, from refining for fuel. The second one is when you're mining, i.e. products that are called phosphorus or potash. Those are naturally occurring materials, but they're mined very deep in the earth. And then they are actually reacted with chemicals to create pelleted fertilizer that goes out into the field. Nitrogen is used for plant growth and the greening. It really helps uh, things grow. Phosphorus is used for root development. So it's very, very important at planting, particularly around the seed. That's where the plant actually gets the root development. And potash is really a general health benefit to the plant. So think about a stable stock type plant as it continues to grow. So those three are primary pieces that are in there called NPK. There's also other uh, micronutrients that have now gotten pretty prevalent. One is sulfur. Sulfur is another, it's a, it's a, it's a, what they call a smaller nutrient, but it's actually a pretty big one. 
and very, very important. And there used to be a lot of sulfur that was available in the soil, and that's actually diminished over the years. And so farmers are having to put the sulfur back in the soil as well. Do you farmers apply NPK altogether? It's it's usually one combined product, or do they com- uh, apply them at different times of the growing season? It depends on the crop. Sometimes they'll, they'll apply, like maybe they'll apply a phosphorus in the fall prior to seeding. And then at seeding, they'll apply their nitrogen and their potash. Sometimes they blend them all together and they'll put it out. It, it really depends on the crop. And some crops like maize or corn, which require a lot of nitrogen, will get um, a nitrogen at planting. And then they'll come back when the when the corn is about up to your knee and they'll put in additional nitrogen so it has uh, enough to continue growing and set seed. I think we can't underestimate the importance of fertilizer and these purchases that these farmers make and these applications and the decisions they have to make throughout the year on when to apply and so on. This is a this is a huge, huge deal for them and a huge price point. How much you know of their spending does fertilizer typically account for? Actually, we actually just did a, a bit of a study on that for some other work that we were doing. So the average farmer in the U.S. spends roughly around $450 per acre on all of their inputs. So think about that, right? And out of that, fertility is around 250 to 300 So it's a pretty expensive proposition. You know, when you look at what a... And, and the farmers are only going to put on, so because of that, they only want to put on what they need. And, and farming has gotten much more sophisticated. Soil tests are taken on all these farms. They know what's available in the soil that the plant can pull out. They know what the crop is going to utilize during a growing season. And so what they put on for fertilizer is actually enough nutrition to be able to feed that plant and keep that soil at that level balanced. What are you doing differently? So you mentioned this concept of biologicals and biologicals are an alternative to these more synthetic fertilizer options or maybe synthetics wrong word, engineered slightly because I know you've said that some of them are naturally mined, but biologicals are using biological products. I'm not really sure how else to describe it to someone that doesn't right. know what they are, but it's uh, naturally occurring products? How, how would right. you best describe biologicals? So when I look at biologicals, what it really is, is what they're doing is they've really looked at what's available in the soil today. So, you know, there's a bunch of different microorganisms and all of them do different things. In simplistic terms, what different companies have done or are doing are they've isolated some of those microorganisms and they figured out how to, to grow them. They're all still alive. And by putting them on, on a, a significant quantity, what you're, what you're doing is you're really enhancing what they do and allowing that plant to naturally get more nutrition from the soil. And that, that those are big deals, right? So what that does is if you can put those out, it means that when a farmer's growing a crop, they don't have to rely on a purely synthetic fertilizer before. While fertilizer is very important to grow a crop, you have to think about it from a sustainability standpoint and an overall carbon footprint, mining the earth for a long period of time, right? Those are finite resources. I think we have to be cognizant of that. As we're moving towards the a more EV or you know some kind of alternate uh, fuel type transportation system, you're going to have impacts in terms of oil production from a refinery standpoint. And that's where a lot of your nitrogen comes from. Those have got big, heavy industry, high energy intensive, big carbon footprint type industries. What we've done at Anuvia is we've actually kind of taken what is happening naturally and we've just sped it up. So what we do is we take um, organic waste materials that normally get thrown away or put in a landfill. This can be like food waste, 
This can be digestate, biofuel generator. It can be manure. It can be also what we call agronomic food waste. So if you're processing, i.e., for example, peanuts, there's peanut hulls that come off of that. We could use that rather than having it be thrown away. And we, in our process, we actually put it through our, our technology and we break it down to the amino acids and the proteins. And then we add uh, nutrients to that. We're a little bit of a hybrid technology. So we're a bit organic from the biological standpoint, and, but we're a bit a conventional in that we use uh, conventional nutrition. But what we do, what that happens is those organic, that, that, that organic material becomes what we call an organic matrix. And it really binds like a docking station to these little nutrients. So think about it. And they're all held with these uh, little bonds. And so when you put it out in the soil, the microbes eat those bonds and release the nutrition. What does that mean? That's what happens naturally. So when you think about a good way to think about it is like if you're walking around and you have leaves on the ground, you know, the leaves that fall in the fall are not there in the spring because they've broken down and they become a food source for those microbes, right? That's what happens, right? They break down with all those microbials. We really do that. Instead of taking six months, we do it in about six minutes. So it's a very similar principle. But what happens is when the microbes feed on that and release those nutrition, what you get is, is a couple things that are very favorable for the environment. One, you get an increased microbial uh, colony that's inside in that soil zone. That's really important because how soil is built is microbes living and dying. So, and that's important from topsoil and, nut and nutrients to the plant. The other thing that happens is because of the way those bonds are held with positive and negative charges, that those nutrients stay in that plant zone, which means they don't leach and go into the water supply and they don't volatilize and become greenhouse gas. In the U.S., because I have that's the statistics that I have, 10% of the greenhouse gas is from agriculture that's contributed. And out of that 10%, something like, I believe it's almost 60% is nitrous oxide. And the 60% of nitrous oxide is that volatilization into the air. When you utilize a Nuvius product, we actually reduce, we actually manage that. So what we do is we have a 10% reduction in greenhouse gas and corn and up to a 26% reduction in other crops like small grains and cotton. So it can have a very substantial impact in terms of reducing greenhouse gases from what conventional fertility is doing today. Okay, a lot to unpack there. But just yes. quickly on that greenhouse gas, so that's a reduction from the process of producing typical NPK fertilizers. Correct. Like yep, conventional. What is available today? The because right now there emission. isn't any other real methods to be able to, to manage that today. Correct. Okay. And so you are taking organic waste. And I remember we reported a few years ago on a partnership you did with Smithfield around hog manure. Yep. Taking organic waste and you're like electrifying it. <laughs> yeah, that's Somehow. the best way to describe it. I mean, it's it's a it's a very it's a it's a, actually a chemical hydrolysis process. But what it does is, we, in our process, it's kind of under time and pressure, and it basically takes the waste and breaks it down to amino acids and proteins. It's a way to be able to, if you think about circular environment, we take a food, it becomes a waste. We take the waste, put it on for for, for our for fertility, grow the food. And so there's nothing that's wasted in that cycle. But when you say you're then adding nutrients, you're still adding some NPK, essentially. We are. Yep, yeah. we are. So we add additional nitrogen and we add additional sulfur and we'll add phosphorus, depending on which one that we're making. So that's what I said. It's a bit of a hybrid technology, right? It's got a mixture of organics and then some of conventional. 
So is it kind of like a delivery method for the NPK to be more efficient? Exactly. That's you hit it. That you hit the nail right on the head. It's really a delivery system, and that's what makes it pretty exciting. The other piece we didn't talk about is just that organic matter that gets back in the soil. You know, in in a long time ago, when you were on a small plot land, farmers would put manures back into that soil, and that helps build that organic matter. That doesn't happen today with all the synthetic fertilizer that's out there. By us putting um, organic matter back into the soil. That, that makes, like I said, that makes that whole feeding station for those microbes, which is incredibly important for that soil zone. And that manure, I mean, it's like so people have their own, do some gardening at home, they have composting and they apply same that. Thing. That's the same, same it's concept. Exactly the same thing. Yep, exactly the same thing. And so you can swap out a, a farmer's total. We talked about that budget, that sort of 50% of cost going to fertilizer. Anuvia's products, and you have various different products, they can be an actual like-for-like swap out with the traditional or... Yes, yep, no, yes, they can. Actually, so we can't swap out all of the nutrition yet, and so I'll talk about the yet, but we can a a significant portion, probably 25-30% right now, and it depends on the crop. There are some crops, i.e. cotton and canola or oilseed rape for Europe, where we could, where we could be, we could swap out almost all of it. Uh, there's crops like corn where it requires much more nitrogen. We don't have quite enough as much nitrogen to be able to do that. But what's really exciting about this is because we are that bio base and, and that delivery system, we can add other biologicals on top of this. So envision a farmer being able to put our product on in two or three years, and we can have biologicals stacked on top of our granule and actually eliminate most of the need for conventional fertilizer. That's very real. That's brilliant. Just thinking about the ones where you cannot replace it like for like. I mean, as we mentioned, these are hard purchasing decisions. And we probably should add that often there will be an advisor, a retailer that helps a farmer with that decision. Having to have a bit of a Nuvia and then a bit of conventional, you know, that kind of sounds a bit more complicated. Has that been a challenge that you've come up against in terms of adoption? Actually, it may sound complicated, but it's actually easier because of the way the product is made. It's very similar to what they do today in terms of conventional fertilizer. So it works with their equipment. It's stored very similarly. So it's very easily, you can easily replace a conventional product with ours. And that's what's happening today. And farmers know what to do. They know how to put it on. They have the equipment. They know how to do that. So it's actually been pretty simple. Okay, great. We are, I mean, there's so much to talk about, Amy. I'd love to talk a bit, touch on carbon again. So you've talked Mm -hmm. about the reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, and a lot of that will be a more efficient process than the traditional fertilizers. But let's also talk about, you know, as you mentioned, you're building that organic soil matter by using those waste streams. And there's a lot of talk, increasing number of talk about carbon markets and measuring the amount of carbon that farmers can store in their soils and uh, potentially paying them for that. You know, in the US, President Joe Biden has talked about having a carbon bank and so on. Where does Anuvia sit with that? Do you think you're going to be building that soil carbon or are you more thinking about it being that you are reducing greenhouse gas emissions compared with the synthetic industry? We actually look at two ways, right? So one, we think about it in terms of um, the greenhouse gas, which we've already talked about. We talk about it in terms of carbon avoidance. Our carbon footprint is considerably smaller by leaps and bounds of the conventional fertilizer companies. That's from that, that's a carbon avoidance in terms of manufacturing. 
but we also have carbon sequestration. So when you put our product out for every hundred pounds that you put on an acre, you're putting in up to eight pounds of carbon. And we can measure that. We've done all our work through ERM, which is environmental resource management. They've done the measuring. We have the data. And so we keep that data so that when there gets to be an opportunity for farmers to be paid for carbon, we have that information so that they can utilize that. We can contribute carbon and reduce greenhouse gas. Fantastic. And have you have you had farmer clients requesting that information? Oh, yes, for sure. Especially now, I would say in the past two and a half years, it's become very, very important. One of the big things in, in the U.S., is many of the food companies are working on their scope three initiatives. So what they're trying to do is figure out how to help influence more sustainable practices in their food chain. And so we actually are a way that uh, companies can help reach their scope threes. And what is scope three? Sorry. Yeah. So scope three and from a sustainability standpoint are, is the food chain. So if, for example, if I'm a food company like PepsiCo, I'm buying corn which is that would be my scope three, which they're going to then turn and make into corn chips, right? Something like that. They've been able to manage everything that they handle from their manufacturing, their producing, everything that they they touch. So now it's up, their scope three is what they influence. And the food channel and where they buy their food is one of those areas. Being able to see a reduction in greenhouse gas, as well as increase in carbon, but also a reduction of carbon footprint. Those are part of what they would call scope three initiatives. So if all of this hasn't been exciting enough for our listeners today, and it should be, fertilizers are cool. You know, let's talk about the fundraising that you have done for this company, which is phenomenal. So you raised $103 million uh, recently in Series C funding, which I think is the biggest uh, funding round for a woman CEO in ag tech. So thank you for doing that for us. What, you know, how was that process? I mean, that is a huge amount of money. It's fantastic. Oh, no, I, I, yes, it is a huge amount of money. And it was, it was, uh, and we did it during COVID, which I'm going to tell you was not easy, right? It's very, very difficult when you try to explain the technology and people can't be there to see it and explain how the plant will run and all of those kinds of things. So we're very, very excited about that. Uh, That funding really went to our, retrofit um, from a plant. And this is kind of cool too, Louise. I'll just talk about really quick. We didn't build a brand new plant, right? Part of our overall vision is being able to repurpose and reuse everything that we can do. When we scaled up, what we did is we took an existing facility that a former fertilizer company had mothballed. We were able to bolt our technology on and use it. So we were able to reuse and repurpose. So rather than creating something brand new, we could basically recycle and create our own manufacturing. So that was very exciting. And that was what we used the funding for. Fantastic. And and how was, so you talked about this of storytelling element being very different over Zoom <laughs> that we've all, yeah. you know, we've all got used to it now. Was it easy to bring investors up the learning curve? And how have you noticed it change from the years that you've been with Anuvia and these investor conversations? Because ag tech is not the same place that it was, you know, five years ago. No, actually what I've noticed is a real now a much more of an interest in sustainability. In a way, I believe that five years ago we were a bit ahead of the curve, right? So while people were talking about sustainability, it wasn't really a driving, I'm gonna call it driving impact factor. They were much more interested in data and technology from, from that standpoint. But now they're understanding why we need to move ahead. And as I said before, fertilizer is very needed. It's 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 sexy if you want to use that because we can't grow crops without it. 
but it really hasn't had any innovation in it either for 40 years. I look at us as one of the big new innovations in fertilizer to be able to move us to the next level, to be able to take farming to a level where it's much more sustainable, yet we can still do large farming to be able to feed the planet. And I think that's incredibly important. So from an investor standpoint, they're just really starting to see that, I would say, over the past year, year and a half. And you actually have products on the market, which I know to some some people listening, they might think, well, of course you do. But actually, there's a lot of companies in the biological space who are at your sort of stage of maturity, let's say, in terms of funding and so on, who don't necessarily have products on the market. So I think that is that is something that sets you apart. I appreciate that. And yeah, it is. And it's actually one of the hardest pieces because sometimes I feel, and I'm not sure if this is the woman angle or not, I swear we have to prove everything twice to be able to get to the same place. And so, yes, we do have products we're actively selling. We've been able to expand our facility around over 2 million acres. And we're now at a place where um, we're going to have some pretty exciting new new announcements here in the next six to eight weeks, which which will be even more fun to talk about. Oh, I can't wait. And yes, just on that woman piece, I certainly repeat myself. It feels like a lot of the time, <laughs> say the same thing over and over again before it goes into certain ears. Um, what would be, just to finish up, or what would be some advice you would give to other female entrepreneurs out there in our industry or just more broadly? People say it all the time, but I honest to God believe that this is true. One is you need to you need to know what you're talking about and you have to stay on point. And you are going to get pushed down many, many times, but you just need to keep fighting through. And I, and it's just so it's just so important. I think we have uh, very important work that we're doing and important things to say. And it's, it's just a bit of a slog in the beginning. That's probably the best way to describe it. And you have to be you have to really be able to persevere. Well, thank you so much. All the great work you're doing is coming to fruition. Super excited to hear the announcements that are coming up. And thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you. I appreciate it. You've been Nature Food with me, Louisa Burwood-Taylor. For news and insights on the food and ag tech industries, go to agfundernews.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review.